0: Yeah, I, well, I mean, just, like, for the audio check, just speak at the volume that you plan on speaking at, you know?
1: I plan on, like, <laughs> no, I plan on speaking probably about here.
0: Hey, I'm Rain,
1: <laughs> And I'm Harry. And
0: this is A for Effort.
1: The show where we each have a couple of words that the other one doesn't know about and they have to guess what they mean, what they are, who they are, why they're here and what they're doing in my house.
0: <laughs> so, this week, do you want to guess first since last yeah, week? Yeah, I will I guess, guess first.
1: What's your theme?
0: My theme is moral psychology.
1: Phenomenal. <laughs> Good news.
0: Okay, Good my, <laughs> my first term mm-hmm. is yep. intuitionism.
1: Intuitionism. Is it like a school of thought, like a theory, a predictive theory of how people use their minds, that kind of thing? Yes, it is. So is this a theory of how people have morality, that it's something intuitive, that kind of an understanding of empathy or something like that is an intuitive thing? That is not rational? Is that a false I dichotomy?
0: choosing to support one theory often involves a little bit of false dichotomization. Okay, that's true. But I feel like that's still important to push yeah. fields forward generally. Mm-hmm. The first part of what you said about how it's intuitive, that people have an intuitive understanding of empathy, etc., I would say that's not as close, mm-hmm. but when you brought up rationalism mm-hmm. at the end, that is closer.
1: So Versus rationalism. Correct. So to speak. So it's irrational, (laughs) one would say. And it's, would we say it's also a theory of how people morally interact and why? (laughs) Yes. So you could hypothetically say it's a theory that people don't interact morally in a rational way, they do it in a different than rational way.
0: Yeah. But what is the different way?
1: I'm going to venture a guess and say it's an intuitive
0: way. <laughs> yeah, great. Moving on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's like a, more of an emotional rather than a rational one. How close is that?
0: It's quite close. Just tie it all together.
1: That humans interact in a moral way based on emotional responses rather than based on rational responses and that they don't think through morality so much as they just kind of act on it or perceive it.
0: I think that's a pretty good okay what definition. is the actual difference? so intuitionism is opposed to rationalism which is the idea that people reason first and foremost mm-hmm. and, it, and rationalism kind of pits reason against emotion yeah and encourages you to put aside your emotion in order to reason logically mm-hmm. um but intuitionism is more the idea that people have intuitive emotional responses to some circumstance mm-hmm. and then reason to justify that emotional response. So it's not so much that they're reasoning in pursuit of ultimate truth as it is that they're reasoning in order to justify Justify. why they already feel the way that they do. And those intuitive responses often have evolutionary origins.
1: All right, next.
0: Okay, my next term is moral licensing.
1: Moral licensing. So licensing generally is like giving someone— permission to be able to do something or giving them the authority to do something. So if we're thinking moral licensing, is it giving someone authority to morally judge a situation or morally judge a person?
0: That's close. Mm-hmm. But what is it that's giving them the authority to judge? That's also...
1: Is it like yeah. um, a moral authority gives you... This is psychology. I'm trying to think... Like My, main, my first thought is that it's a social authority that you gain i.e. through some position in society, you have some moral license. Or is it different than that? Is it a societal thing?
0: It's not necessarily granted by a a certain position Mm -hmm. in society that you always hold, but it is related to something you have, but that having is not necessarily like permanent place in society.
1: So it's like relative and flexible? Yeah. Is it an internal thing? Yeah. Is it a perceived thing? As in, I perceive myself to have the moral license to judge on this issue?
0: I think it's more implicit.
1: I don't know. I can't get to a specific here.
0: Okay. So moral licensing is the phenomenon by which people initially behave in a moral way and then are later more likely to display behaviors that are immoral, unethical, or otherwise problematic.
1: Oh. So it licenses you to do something. Yes. Oh, uh, okay.
0: So I first came across this Yeah. a year and a bit ago. I was listening to Revisionist History. Mm-hmm. The first episode, The Lady Vanishes, mm-hmm. Gladwell talks about this. I don't remember the specifics, but there's this female artist at a time when the art game was very male-dominated, yeah. almost entirely male-dominated, and her first piece was very well-received. Mm-hmm. And then subsequent pieces, while being of similar artistic merit— were not appreciated to the same extent and then other women were also shut out and it's the idea that by letting this one woman's yeah. one work of art into this display mm-hmm. they then had the moral license yeah to deny mm-hmm. other women i think gladwell makes an analogy to opening the door for one person and then slamming it in the face of yeah. the next person
1: good well i look forward to using this when justifying my terrible actions in the future <laughs>
0: Oh no! I have moral license here. No, no, I'll
1: you don't understand. Well, explain me as you do.
0: I gave money to charity. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and my third term, somewhat tangentially related. Mm-hmm. How
1: tangentially related?
0: Import substitution. Yeah. <laughs> my third term mm-hmm. is the mirror exposure effect.
1: The mirror, mirror. Mirror. Like meerkat?
0: I'm sorry, did I even speak the (laughs) meerkat exposure.
1: (laughs) Mirror? mirror?
0: No, (laughs) M-E-R-E.
1: That through mere exposure to something, there's an effect.
0: (laughs) Nailed it. Let's (laughs) move on. (laughs) Done. All right. Perfect.
1: But to what? (laughs) And what's the I have no idea. And we only know it's tangentially related to moral psychology. It could be anything. Yeah. (laughs) Through the mere exposure to a bad thing, to the mere exposure to a moral code, you can have that imbued in your sense of morality. I have no idea.
0: Sorry, it's like a smaller Literally scale. Literally no thing. idea. It's a smaller scale. Mere it applies to a to single.
1: One single good deed. <laughs> the lights of Christmas can be turned back on. Santa can become real. I don't know. What is it? No,
0: I'm sorry. I feel mean, like I really threw you with that tangent. <laughs> I have one bad one
1: that you can't even, so it's okay.
0: Okay. The mere exposure effect mm-hmm. is <laughs> when you preferentially rate something just because you've seen it before. <laughs> so you like something more oh, okay. just because you've seen it before.
1: Cool. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I've, yes. Yes. So
0: like familiarity yeah. as liking mm-hmm. um, and i said it was tangentially related to moral psychology because we were talking about intuitionism Mm -hmm. where you just have these gut responses and then you reason your way into why they make sense and so i'm saying it's tangentially related because you can have these gut responses based Mm. on the fact that you've just seen something before Mm -hmm. and then reason to the point where you're like that's what's natural and right and i think you see that a lot when people have difficulty communicating across Moral boundaries. Mm-hmm. You're used to a different moral matrix and yep. different things being acceptable or not. And by that exposure,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you come across something else, often the first instinct can be that's wrong. Yeah, just because you haven't seen it before.
1: It reminds me of I was reading an article about fake news, and it's about, was
0: it fake news? Oh, maybe it
1: was <laughs> classic double bluff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was about um, they did studies on people where if you give them like false information, a false statement or something, a couple of times over a couple of months, and then and at first you ask them to rate the truth or falsity of it, and then a couple of months later after they've just seen it written down like four or five times, you then have to ask them to rate the truth or falsity of it. They're more likely, there's a higher number, percentage of people who will rate it true after seeing it written a couple of times.
0: Okay, so that is the end of round one.
1: All right, so my theme is the Middle Ages okay. in mes- Western Europe. Okay, can I, I tell a fun story? Yes.
0: <laughs> in grade four, classic grade four curriculum deals with the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. and I chose to dress up as a knight, and I gave my speech as a knight, and then at the feast, they called everyone up for something. So they called you up by cast. Or rank. Yes. Class. Yes, with a given <laughs> title.
1: Like Sir Harry of Blondaga. Exactly, yes. and—
0: so I was the only girl who chose to dress up as a knight. Mm. And they still just called me up by sir. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, way to go. Nice. Nailed it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Anyways, so you were saying.
1: <laughs> Middle Ages, because I'm taking a class called Western Europe in the Middle Ages.
0: <laughs> okay. Very topical.
1: So that's where I got these. So the first one is actually a German word, but the roots mm-hmm. of it, like you can understand what the words mean. Okay, cool. So the word is Volker Wanderung. Okay. So that's V O L K. Yep. E R. Okay. W A N D. Okay. E R. Okay. U N G.
0: Okay. Volk, I think, is people um, because Volkswagen yes. is like people's vehicle yes, or whatever. Yes. Volk, Volker w- Wanderung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I speak German. <laughs> Clearly.
1: You knew Volk and Volkswagen. <laughs> so, das Auto. <laughs>
0: I'm going to guess that the U-N-G at the end is like er, (laughs) E-R. This is the Middle Ages.
1: Middle Ages being from like the end of the Roman Empire in the West. So that's like 476 or something. Okay. To like the 1500s. Okay. So it's about a thousand years.
0: And is this an item or a person? Like a, a ranking?
1: It's not a ranking. Okay. It's like a historical concept slash description of an event.
0: Okay, uh, is it the word for mass migration?
1: It's the word for a specific mass migration, but yes. (laughs) A German one.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so just to retroactively explain why I think it's that. Yes. I already identified Volks as people, and then Wander Mm -hmm. sounds (laughs) much like the English word Wander. Ah, yes, true. (laughs) And then I said that. The U-N-G was like, er, because I was like wanderer. So it's like a lot of people wandering, Mm -hmm. mass migration. A German one? Um,
1: Well, can we remember from many years ago how the Roman Empire popularly is known to have ended?
0: Um, I'm going to... My final answer is Treaty of Westphalia. (laughs) (laughs)
1: About a thousand years. (laughs) Late?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, I don't know how the Roman... Well, Empire, popularly,
1: barbarian invasion.
0: <laughs> okay, the barbarians
1: uh, being Germanic.
0: Okay, and
1: so, so Volga Wanderung yeah. means wanderings of the people. Okay, so it's a concept made by German historians and like cultural historians from the nineteenth and twentieth centuries about this period where Germanic peoples moved into Central Europe and into the Roman Empire at this time, being pushed out by the Huns in Central Asia and so like that. So they kind of migrated across, and it's like seen as an invasion. Historically, but in fact it's just like pretty much mass refugees moving west. Okay. That's well, the wanderings of the people.
0: Okay. So I'm now going to try and repeat that back to you. Just check my understanding. All right. I, I think there are holes in it that will become evident. So, we'll... Holes in
1: my explanation?
0: No, holes in my understanding. I think there are holes
1: in your logic that will become clear <laughs> when I repeat it back to you.
0: That made no sense. <laughs> and I will show you. <laughs> Um, (laughs) no, in in my understanding of your explanation. So Volkvanderung is a mass migration of the people, Mm -hmm. escaping from incoming Huns, etc.
1: Well, from a lot of things. Okay. There was also a growth in population, and it wasn't like the oldest son gets this. It was every son gets a split of the property, and eventually there's no one has any property, and so they have to keep moving farther and farther away.
0: Okay. So a mass migration of people mm-hmm. generally moving away from hardship, including invading Huns mm-hmm. and lack of Land property, property yeah. because of the way that it was divided amongst all the sons mm-hmm. and not just given to the oldest son. Yep. And that migration is referred to as the Volkswanderung mm-hmm. by historians covering...
1: Like it, it has been. Okay. You know, in the 19th and 20th century with the formation of Germany as a country... And that's the same time with the growth of nationalism in Europe that all these countries are trying to, like, figure out their mm. historical path and yep. why they were destined to be the people they were. Like, France was like Charlemagne. He was the birth of France and the Frank people and whatever, right. etc. This is one of the parts of that, but for Germany. Okay, cool. Number two. This one, unless you know the word, <laughs> may be very difficult. <laughs> okay. It's hagiography. H-A-G-I-O, graphy.
0: Okay. (laughs) I think this is going to be rough. (laughs) Okay, graphy, geography.
1: (laughs) Is it mapping?
0: Topography, yeah. Something with mapping?
1: I guess in like an abstract way. Or something with charting? No. Nothing with charting. In like an abstract way, but no. Not in the the sense of what that word actually means.
0: Hunting witches. No. (laughs) (laughs) I got there from Hag. Yeah, no, I figured...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I tried to break down this word the other day, and I was like, <laughs> it's impossible. I'll put it in. Is
0: this the one that you warned me about? Yes. Okay. <laughs> or is there an even worse one? Yeah, Callie. next
1: one. Flarg. <laughs> Take a guess at that one. Western Europe, Middle Ages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Common last name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mr. Flarg. Mrs. Flarg. Sir Flarg. Sir Flarg. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, yeah, you can just...
0: <laughs> can I can you narrow it down a little bit, like... <laughs> I don't know
1: at all. It's like a kind of story and it's religious based. I don't know. So it's the biography of a saint. And it's usually less a biography and it's more like a myth mm. surrounding them. Yeah. Or it could be a myth surrounding how their relic got to a certain place, like why do we have the bones of Saint Florable here? <laughs> because many like stuff like that, you know. It's like a genre. Right. All right. <laughs> all right. Last one, millenarianism. And remember, Middle Ages from about 500 to 1500.
0: Okay. Does it have anything to do with mills? No. Well, there goes my guess. (laughs) That's it. All I got is mills. Okay. Millenarianism. So my first guess was that it had something to do with mills Mm -hmm. uh, because of the word mill. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Are you going to go smaller no- or bigger?
0: Now I'm going to expand and look at the <laughs> mm. millen part. Okay. So I'm like, uh, thousands of something. Uh
1: you're, cl- you're close. <laughs>
0: a a thousand years millenarianism. Okay. Well, people went a little wild at Y2K. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my you're guess very close. is that... <laughs> millenarianism was a medieval branch of the world's going to end at a thousand years.
1: Yes. (laughs) Pretty much a lot of people believing that the apocalypse was coming with the millennium. Yeah. Like Jesus was going to return. This is why as well. Between 1096 and 1099 is the first crusade. So it's this period during which a lot of people are like, we need to return to the holy land. This is the beginning of end times. And so in a lot of primary sources about the crusades, there's a lot of apocalyptic imagery and imagery of the book of revelations, which is when the is in the Bible, mm-hmm. describing the cities that they siege in the Crusades in this apocalyptic imagery to try and describe it in a way that they're taking the Holy Land as kind of a preparation.
0: Okay. And you said that was in 1096 to 1099. Mm-hmm. So like almost 100 years after the actual yeah. millennium.
1: So it's less like Y2K in that when we reach this year, things will end. And it's more like in this time of craziness and strife when a thousand years have happened since jesus and things there's also a lot of events like there was this plague of worms that apparently all emerged in france and then flew east there was a lot of clouds sighted in the shape of swords pointing east okay. stuff like that you know yeah there's like a couple of partial solar eclipses partial lunar eclipses there was a red moon things like that okay cool. so it's like this larger climate of feeling like the end of the world is coming which millenarianism played into
0: Okay, so millenarianism describes that larger climate, or no. It's a specific: the world Aspect is going to end it. at a thousand years. It's
1: not. It's not the world is going to end at a thousand years. Okay. It's,
0: the apocalypse is coming.
1: Yeah, and the fact that we've reached a thousand years.
0: Harbinges.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a harbinger.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's harbinges are worth. As
1: we've reached the third board, that harbinges the end of this podcast. <laughs> Good one. A pod collapse.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, I think we can just cut it. Right <laughs> I would give you two out of three because I think with intuitionism and moral licensing, you came quite close, mm-hmm. and then with the mere exposure effect, you, you did miss it, but tangential also threw you off, I recognize. Mm-hmm. But two out of three.
1: I will also give you two out of three. Oh, great. Both points for hagiography. <laughs> no, one for vocal, one for millenarians. Great, well done.
0: Yeah, thank you. You as well. Oh. If you want to learn more about moral psychology. I would highly recommend the book The Righteous Mind by Mm. Jonathan Haidt. That's where intuitionism came from. Moral licensing came from the episode The Lady Vanishes from Malcolm Gladwell's podcast Revisionist History. And the mere exposure effect also came from The Righteous Mind.
1: If you want to learn more about Western Europe, you should take this class I'm in at McGill University, History 380 with Travis Bruce. You should also read The Worlds of Medieval Europe by Backman is the one. It's a textbook about it. It's very good. It's very thorough. You're going to get through. You're definitely going to get hagiography and vulgar wanderung in there. In terms of millenarianism, that may be in there, but that may be a term specifically from this class that I'm in.
0: A for Effort is produced, written, and hosted by both of us, Moraine. And Harry. Our logo is by Eights, and our music is... Shop Shop by White Flowers.
1: Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you listen again. <laughs> forever and ever and ever. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Day for Effort is written, produced, directed, researched, and recorded by interns who don't have any names. <laughs> we don't thank them. They thank us. (laughs) Thanks. Goodbye. (laughs)